it brings up an, an interesting thought. So I had written down here, misery for the sake of misery. And there, there's a, there's a point where like, yes, it's great to put yourself under stress. It's good to put yourself in difficult situations. It's, if there is, as we said earlier, if there's an intent behind it, if there's a, I want to get better, I want to figure out what's going on. And the big thing for me during that walk was I had to figure, I had to understand what I was doing. Like, why am I even out here? Why does it matter to me that when Sean is telling me that I'm misrepresenting myself, why does that matter to me? Like, what is it that is really going to drive me to go for a long walk just because someone says I'm, I'm misrepresenting myself? Well, because at my core value, I, I value honor. I value trust. I value uh, being true to yourself, true to your word, all these things. But there are, there are things where you just, you know, we, we make our lives miserable for the sake of the fact that they're miserable. <laughs> and I've seen this over and over again with a lot of vets where they will fall down the same, the same hole, the same issue, the same escape, as we said earlier, over and over and over again, because it's, it's the norm. And it's just like misery for the sake of misery. And I'm wondering what your guys' thoughts are on, I mean, we've talked about this many times last year, but how do you get out of this? Like, I'm going to self-impose some misery right now without any real intent behind it. What do you guys think? Seb, come to you first. Well, it all depends. It all depends why they're doing it for, right? And and if they don't know why they're doing it for, I question that to begin with. But we, we see this very regularly with with veterans or even with people in, in the legal community as well, with people struggling with mental health issues that they realize, um, say, for example, that training physically is really helping alleviating, alleviate some of the stress associated with whatever they're, they're dealing with. But um, it, at times, not always, it becomes a, sort of an overuse mechanism where that is also the, the safe place where they don't need to think about that because I'm doing tricep extensions, right? And, uh, and I think it's, it's important to realize that you can't have too much of a good thing. You, you can, that's, that's a fact. And, and, that, and that if the cost benefit against what it is that you are trying to accomplish has to be taken into account. And if you are now have the best triceps in the world, but you've done zero internal work and your life's in shambles and your relationships are difficult and you can't keep a job and you're, you're depressed and you're consistently going up and down in moods and all these other things, um, I'm glad that you're happy with your triceps, but um, I think you got much bigger problems. And that called that a blatant inversion of the priorities of life, essentially, because that's exactly what it is, is to is to prioritize something that's nowhere near as important as what you are avoiding by doing it. That's a great point. Chris, you want to tell us about your triceps? <laughs> Dude, they're dope. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean... There's, there's a reason uh, we refer to going to the gym as cheap therapy uh, because it's, yeah, you get a little bit of a dopamine hit, but also keep in mind you get what you pay for. And, and so like working out is awesome. It's good for the body. It's good for the soul. Um, but uh, if you're not doing that kind of internal work, like Seb mentioned, then, then there is going to be something askew. Something's not going to quite fit right. Um, kind of going back to 
what you you had mentioned earlier about misery for misery's sake do, doing difficult things on purpose but like why i th i think a lot of it comes back to this question that we as particularly men are always asking ourselves is do i have what it takes and um sometimes that self-imposed misery is trying to answer that question and uh, particularly kind of going back to that example I said earlier about the those selection style events it, it's it's really trying to answer that question do I have what it takes do I have do I have it in me mentally do I have the mental fortitude to withstand this suffering uh, and and if that's the case if I do have what it takes then then yeah I can tackle other difficult things in life um, but um, yeah I think I think I think doing difficult things just just to do difficult things, just to be the the hardest dude on the planet. I, I don't know. I think there's some other work there that needs to be done. Um, it's like why why do you want to be the hardest dude on the planet? Um, you know, there's there's a time and place that we need you know dudes to be rough and to to be willing to withstand suffering. Um, but but. I think there's more questions to be to be answered. It's, it's like, all right, what what's going on that you have to have that title of of the baddest dude ever? Um, and when you when you start answering that question, like, well, maybe I don't need to be the baddest dude ever. Okay, so all right, what what do you want to achieve? What is the intent behind you know the self imposed suffering and the self imposed misery? I like that, Sean. Thoughts. Well, Chance, you'd said misrepresent yourself. And I think that uh, lots of people misrepresent themselves out there. And I'm going to give a example. So um, we tell ourselves certain things in our heads. And then we can start believing that they're true, or we can pressure test that they're true. And so that's the action. That's the ink on the paper, where you get to decide what I'm thinking is that reality. That requires pressure testing to determine if it is reality. I can levitate. If that's what you tell yourself in your head, you can spend the rest of the day trying to levitate. What you'll probably find yourself doing is jumping up and down a lot and not floating. And so that's called pressure testing. And so when someone um, starts talking about how hard they are or all of the things that they can do, well, I just look at them and say, well, do it, bro do it demonstrate to me that you can ruck for three days in a row without eating demonstrate it pressure test it don't talk about it go do it and then when you've done it let me know how it went did you do it cool congratulations did you not do it cool congratulations there's two moments of clarity there one you can and one you can't and you get to wrap your head around the can or the can't and start thinking about that and so misrepresentation, I feel, goes on pretty regularly for all of us until we pressure test our beliefs, pressure test the voice in our head. I'm not going to say the lie that we tell ourselves, but the story that we make up in our head about who we are, that all has to be pressure tested out in the external world through whatever means. Now, a while ago, I put out a post on my Instagram, and it was about... It's laughable how many times I've heard this from guys that I know who've said to me, you know, I think, uh, I think I would have, 
I think I would have mean, made a great JTF2 operator. Pretty sure, uh, pretty sure I might have been one of the best, actually. Really? Okay. So my post had been along the lines of this. I wish, and I wish I had a dollar for every time I've heard it from somebody out there. I think I would have been a pretty good pathfinder because I'm pretty good with a compass. Okay, cool. I think I would have been a pretty good sniper because I'm pretty good with a 22 caliber. Okay, cool. I think I would have been a pretty good J2, JTF2 operator because I've got a friend who knows a guy who knows a guy who was a JTF2 operator. I mean, everyone comes up with all kinds of crazy stories in their head. But until you pressure test your story, you exist in a space called cognitive dissonance. And I feel that it's the cognitive dissonance that chews away at a guy. You, you think you're a sniper? Well, go be one or stop telling yourself the lie. One or the two. Because that middle ground of believing that you are and telling yourself that you are, and even worse, telling other people around you that you are, is a road to ruin, in my opinion. So you can have all the ideas in your head, all of them. You can be the triple qualified scuba ninja warrior, whatever that means to you, in your head. But until you jump in a swimming pool and realize that you don't like water, what's the point? What, what is the point in telling yourself all the stories until you put pedal to the metal, until you put your foot on the floor, until you go and do the thing, until you freaking pressure test your ideas? You're nothing until you become it. And so that, that, that space between nothing and become it can be half a day or it can be an entire lifetime. The timeline doesn't matter. What does matter is the fact that you put your foot on the start line and then take half an inch forward into whatever it is that you want to see if you are the thing that you're telling yourself in your head. Pressure testing. That's all there is to it. Yeah, absolutely. Seb, what do you got? I got a I got a few things in line with that because I think that's a that's a very valuable segue. Um, you know, every time you take something on that's difficult, or every time you embark on some on something, or you have some adversity coming in, or whatever the case may be, and you're theor the theoretically going through how things are going to go and how they're going to feel and how they're going to be, it's kind of like being an MMA fighter without having ever done an MMA training session. And if you have ever done anybody in their first MMA training session, you'll understand how much respect they gain for MMA fighters that instance. Because there is, you know, hardly anything harder for humans to do. Engaging in interpersonal combat in all aspects, not just in one dimension. And so I use MMA as an example because a lot of guys obviously want to be, you know, fighters and want to do the thing. And then they don't realize that that, that, that means that to your first fight, you are you know, 472 of those classes in, you know, your, your next fight, your, 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 your 800, you know, sessions in by the time you hit that. And so by the time you hit it the big time and you're making money and you have the ladies and, and the money and the, the, the billboard in Times Square, you've put in 9,000 hours of freaking, you know, every single modality over and over again. And so, and I can speak to, you know, I can speak to a lot of other things. Almost everything on the competitive floor is harder than in, than in 
thoughts, almost everything. And once you're, once you're, you think you have this whole selection dialed in and you're in minute two and that minute two lasts an hour and you look at your watch or sorry, you don't have a watch, but you realize that you're two minutes later and you got like, you know, seven days of this left is where the, the, the demarcation happens. That's where the wheat is separated from the shaft. It, it's, it's that simple. And so this leads me to another thing, which is when to let go of things. You know, I, and I, and I've experienced this in my own life. I've experienced this in my own life where, where I was hanging on to an idea, which was something I truly wanted to do that wasn't in the cards for me on account of timing, but I tried to make it happen as much as I could. And that was a transition to a certain unit from my unit. And this was supposed to be facilitated and it was supposed to be, you know, looked at from recruiting from the two organizational recruitings and all of those things. And I realized that I woke up five years later and I was still waiting for that thing to happen that I was going to go do and all this good stuff. But now I'm looking down the barrel of, you know, a second kid coming down. And I mean that respectfully and, uh, and, and all this good stuff. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, you either do it now or you let it go. And as soon as I made a, a decision, a conscious decision to let it go, what it opened up for me was all the other things I had put on the side, on the, on the back burner on account of I was going to do that thing. The problem with time is it's, is it's exactly what's expended while you are deciding what you're going to do with it. There's no other way to put it. It's not like you're just deciding what you're going to do and then your timer starts. No, no, the timer is running. And now you're, 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 you know, you're, you're taking your sweet time, hanging on to an idea or hanging on to something and you're not, you're not really afforded the ability or you don't take actionable steps to go towards that goal. You're going nowhere and you're going nowhere using all the time, all the precious commodity that you have called time. That is a great point. I, uh, it's funny. My, I tell my boys this quite often is the fact that, uh, no decision is still a decision. If you choose not to think about it, that's a choice. <laughs> so it, uh, I think that's not, not too exactly your point there, Seb, but I think that's a, <clears throat> an additional point to it in the fact that a lot of times people will, well, I need to think about it. Well, I need to take some time and let me, let me process, which absolutely some people do. Uh, but then they stay there for weeks, months, years. And then finally seven years down the road, they're like, ah, I think it's too late. <laughs> and, uh, uh to your point, Sean, a second ago was the fact that, or not, sorry, not Sean, uh, Seb was the fact that we see this in BJJ all the time, right? People show up, they're like, yeah, I'm going to do BJJ. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to turn into Henner Gracie tomorrow. And then they get their ass handed to them for the first six months before they get like, okay, I think I know what I'm doing now. And then they can get into it. But Rarely do people make it through that first six months. Rarely do people make it that two years or whatever it is to get to your blue belt. And then even, and then it's just like, that's just the beginning of the story. So I, I love the fact that you brought up uh, the MMA fighters because that is a, that is a, that is a training schedule that most people don't understand in the least. Chris, you got any thoughts on this? To Sean's point earlier where, you know, people reach out and say, man, I think I would have been a good xyz i i get a couple of those dms too um and my my first thought is typically you know there's a big difference between loving the idea of a job and loving the job um and a lot of 
a lot of particularly young men love the idea of the job. Maybe it's, you know, because it's been glorified in movies or a lot of video games. Um, <clears throat> there's just a big difference between, you know, the idea of the job. The idea of the job is often portrayed as, you know, super cool missions or, you know, fast roping out of helicopters and, and doing the thing or whatever the case is. But there's there's also a lot of silliness, like regular army stuff that needs to be done. You know, um, it's it, the job itself is different than what is portrayed often. Um, and I think uh, the other thought that comes to mind is, you know, when, when people say, yeah, I, I want to be a Green Beret or, you know, I think I would have been a good Green Beret. Cool, man. But there's always somebody bigger and badder. You know, there's always that other unit you could go try out for too. Uh, and and having, you know, bumped into those kind of guys or, or even trying out for those kind of units, it's it's like there's just a whole nother world out there that is just on a totally different level. And so, I, I don't know, may, maybe that goes back to kind of downplaying some stuff that I've done in my own life is because I know that there's there's other dudes out there achieving way different things and and going through way different selection processes and, and that type of thing. And so it's, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it just comes back to, you know, all right, then go be about it. Uh, stop talking, go be about it. Or, or like Seb said, let it go. Um, I, I knew a kid back in my youth pastor days. Uh, there's this kid who, um, was just a, a physical specimen. Like he, he was working out all the time, uh, and constantly doing push-ups and pull-ups. And like, whenever I saw him, he was just working out and he wanted to be a Navy SEAL. And I'm, and I'm like, dude, go do it, go do it right now. He's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go to college first. Okay. Right on. He still worked out constantly. Um, I'm like, dude, go, go enlist, go, go be an officer. I, I don't care. Just go do it. Go do the thing. This is your dream. You've always wanted to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go get my master's real quick. And then, and then I'm going to go and, and time, time went on and like his window evaporated, you know, and then he didn't get to do the thing. And that, that doesn't mean he's not going to have a great life and, and a very fulfilling life. But he did, he did talk a lot about the dream and he never pulled the trigger on the dream, you know, and it, that always kind of broke my heart because one, he was a solid dude. He wasn't, he wasn't dumb. Like he was a good kid and he would have done really well. I think in that, in that environment, he would have contributed a lot to the organization, but, um, he kept putting it off and it didn't happen. And that's a tough position to be in. Sean, you got any thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to just tell a, a little story. And the story is going to take us from an individual need or an individual focus. And then I'm going to end with a group idea, a group focus, or for the good of the collective, for lack of a better term. So I just came back from California where I spent five days hanging out with a buddy of mine from back in the day. We served on tier one special operations together in JTF2. His first name is Marlon. And if anyone's interested in, in what I'm talking about, you can go hit up my IG stories and you'll get to see his ugly mug 
on my uh, in my stories. And so uh, that's a long time ago that we worked together, a long time ago. And so as we we're driving around California, he hit me with a question. He said, hey, uh, when did you hear about the teams or when did you decide that you were going to try out for the teams? And I said, well, because I was one of the originals or we were the early crew. I only found out about it by seeing a memo stuck outside of my commanding officer's uh, uh, office when I was a duty sergeant. And so I saw that and I thought, oh, that's for me. And so I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I didn't know how long, didn't know where, didn't know what we were going to be doing, didn't know what it required to pass, didn't know if I had to swim or levitate. I didn't know anything. None of us did at the start. No one knew anything, anything. So I went out there for my seven days, did selection, obviously was successful, then headed out uh, back to Ottawa and continued with all of the other phases, got badged, and now I'm on a team. And so I said, I didn't know what I was getting myself into other than it felt like inside of me that that's what I had to do. That's what I wanted to do. That would be perfect for me. So I knew individually that that's what I wanted. So now he then said to me, hey, do you remember uh, asking me hard questions in a hard environment over a timeline where you made my life extremely difficult? Some would refer to it as interrogation, but that's not what I was doing because we don't interrogate. What I did do with a lot of velocity and a lot of effort, I made sure that he was extremely uncomfortable in the moment as I asked him some questions. And so he said, you're, you're one of the two guys who um, did that to me. And I said, dude, I totally forgot about that. And I said, you know, obviously I was just doing my job. And he said, oh yeah, I know you were doing your job for the team. And so then he asked me another question, and it was, would you have stayed on the team if they would have given you your officer rank, if they would have promoted you to officer, if they would have enticed you with, hey, you could be an officer on the teams? And I said to him, well, look, I was offered to be uh, entering into the officer trajectory twice before I went to the teams. When I was in the regular military, it was offered to me, and I turned it down both times. And I turned it down because at the time, I thought that my job as a senior NCO was more important or more impactful than as an officer. So it wasn't of interest to me. I just wanted to do my job. But if I was on the teams and someone said to me, hey, would you consider being an officer on the teams? If I felt at that time that it, it was a benefit to the team, irrespective of my needs, irrespective of my thoughts, irrespective of my doubts, if someone would have said, we want you to do that for the teams, then I would have done it. But at the start of my career, that's not how I thought. At the end of my career, that's how I thought. If it was right for the team, then it was right for me. If that's what they need me to do, that's what I will do. If that is the course of my life that does betterment for a larger body of excellence, just point me in the direction and I'll go do it. So that's how I kind of look at the individual responsibility of what's right for me versus the group responsibility of what is right for the group. And I was reminded of that when I was on this trip just down in California that I just came back from, just from a couple of 
simple questions over a 10 minute drive. And so my point is this, that that was a long time ago that I've thought about a lot of things about if this, then that, why this, why that. But it was a car drive just the other day in California from a friend asking me questions just in a little bit of a different way that he had knowledge of, enough knowledge to ask me the question in the right way for me to rethink things just a little bit more about why we do certain things in our lives for ourselves or for other or for others. So if you can find the right people to ask you the right questions throughout your life, I think that our lives become much richer for it if we spend the time thinking about the answer. So back to the vetcations or the growth retreats or something that uh, uh, anybody who has served has an opportunity to grow in the near future. When they're heading to that, again, it goes back to what is in it for you? Why are you doing it? But what is in it for the team? If it's Operation Pegasus Jump, then it is you encouraging other veterans who haven't been to the event to go to the event this year. So individual responsibilities and group responsibilities. That brings up so many questions, but I'm going to go around first. Chris, you got any thoughts on this? I, I like that a lot. It's um, team, team was always like first priority uh, when serving. It's like team first mission and then self was way down on the priority list. And so uh, I, I actually like that perspective a lot. It's like, are my next actions going to benefit the team? Um, and, and what can I seek out to do that will benefit the team even more? Um, and that that's not only, you know, physical preparation, but getting smarter and um, ensuring that maybe it's as simple as like making sure the team room is swept up and the trash is taken out. You know, uh, as we don't have like a bunch of privates running around doing that work for us, like as, as E6s, E7s, we got to take care of it too. It's our house, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I like that mentality a lot, Sean. Awesome. Seb, thoughts? Yeah, I'm all about that. I, I love that. That's just the way, that's just the way I ran every single program I've ever embarked on. And I think one of the, one of the key piece here that's important to realize as well is that it's not all selflessness in that when you start investing in others around you, it comes back. It 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 comes back full circle. And I think that's I think that's very, very telling or the intent is important, of course. If you are doing something with the intent of receiving in return, you are doing it for the wrong reasons. But provided that you are doing it for the right reasons, which is to help the team to be there, to be the supportive person, all of these other things. As Chris is sweeping the, the team room, the one guy that walked by and saw him with a broom, never heard from him, never heard you know Chris try to take credit for sweeping the room or anything like that. He knows that when nobody's watching, this guy's doing the work. So next week, a course coming up down the pipeline, and next thing you know, Chris is loaded on it. Why is that? Because a chain of event unfolded and somebody was able to establishes character. And I, this is a very simple thing, but imagine if you start helping other people and they go out and help other people. This never stops proliferating. At the end of this, what are you in? 
100, 200, 300,000 people in maybe for the, for the, for the one guy that Sean was talking to at Pegasus. And he's, he jumped on the, you know, skipped, skipped one jump to have a conversation with somebody. What was that guy going to do that night? Do we know how impactful was that? And how, how is this now, you know, sent it to the universe? And if you think that that's not coming back to you, you have not lived life properly continue to do it and do it selflessly and trust me on this you're gonna you're gonna see major benefits coming back from that from having that sort of selfless attitude and it doesn't mean disregarded your own need it doesn't mean you know being necessarily the last on the totem pole and all these other things it means a balance but if you are generally and genuinely invested in helping others around you that stuff is coming back that is a uh that's, that's a tricky one, man. I know a lot, especially when you're young, because, you know, I tell my kids this, I got told this as a kid, you know, the golden rule, treat other people, how you want to be treated, that kind of stuff. And then you treat people well and get crapped on, right? <laughs> like it happens all the time. It's all over the, it's all, it's not a new phenomenon by any means, but those, those instances later on, you can look back on and say, oh, well, that's, this is probably due to this. Uh, oh, that, uh, there were reasons behind it. Or I was not doing the thing that I thought I was doing. Lots of things like that, right? But I think it, it, it brings to the question of like, how are we actually going about it? How are we living the life that we want to live? Or are we even living that life? Or are we just thinking about it? As we've been talking about <laughs> the whole time so far is the fact that, you know, our, our intent drives a lot of things. But there's that old phrase, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So it's a it's a very, at least in my mind, it's kind of a, it's a almost a binary choice, right? You have, you can do and live well, and accept whatever happens from there. Or you can do and live well and try to change as time progresses. And I'm wondering, am I, you know, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Because I've always seen it as a, in my mind, I need to live well and adjust on the fly to whatever's going on around me. So what are you guys' thoughts? Sean, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Well, um, I'm not sure I understand exactly what you're asking or proposing, but I will say this, that um, if the choice is between existing or flourishing, I'll choose flourishing. And if the question is, uh, do you want to live a mediocre life or do you want to live a life that changes the world? Well, it's a pretty easy answer. I'll, I'll try to change the world. And what world? My internal world and my external world. I'm not talking about changing the planet. I, I can't get the entire planet to kumbaya around a campfire right now. It just ain't going to happen. What I can do is either in this podcast or later today, when I chat with someone or tomorrow or whatever I do in the world, I can make an effort to try to make a change for good, for betterment, to make not just my life better, but other people's lives better. And so you can't make other people's lives better if you're living a mediocre life because then your words become empty. If I ask someone to be better, to do better, bigger, better, faster, stronger, if I ask someone to jump higher, but I've never got out of my seat, they're all empty words. And so we go back to what we were speaking about earlier, which was 
uh, kind of not judging another person, but evaluating ourselves, our lives through context and seeing that that's an inspirational way to live life. So my job is to try to do my life in a way that inspires me and others. And that should be enough. It should be enough to make positive changes for those around you within the world as a whole, uh, wherever you're stepping, uh, either on the digital space or in the real uh, world, wherever you're traveling, you can make change in the world for better. But it is not a passive process. You just can't traipse down the yellow brick road without any thought and, and believe that you're going to change the world into a magnificent place. There's intentionality as you're moving down that yellow brick road of looking at your arcs on the left and right and seeing what you can improvise, adapt, and overcome, what you can make better. It takes maybe not full planning mode, but it takes paying attention to what's going on in your life and figuring out what you can adjust on the periphery that is going to move the needle, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Seb, what do you got? You know, you, you've always, you've always had, or everybody at least that's been in sort of our line of works and even in any line of work, really, there's always that one person or, or two, but generally one person. And when that person shows up and they may not be in a, in a, in an official leadership position or anything like that, but when that person shows up, everything makes sense all of a sudden. And you think to yourself, I don't care what happens here. As long as this person is here with me and we can bounce stuff off, we're going to be just good. We're going to be good to go. And I think what happens over time as you are, you know, facing your own adversity, as you are developing yourself, as you, as you, as you are becoming this person that's now lived a life that's, that can lead others to be inspired, you kind of become that a little bit. And I think that from an operational standpoint, there's something truly, truly magical that happens there when you have that. And because your words are now have value. And that's, it It took you, you know, your entire lifetime. It took you all the work that you have done to be able to have that. And when your work have value, it has power and you now have a bigger responsibility, which is not to, you know, let up mouth negligent discharge, discharges left, right and center, because your words have, have weight and people are actually going to either take action on it or not in, in, in certain ways. So I think it's a very fine balance, but it is a great place to be if you use it for righteous purpose, you can now use the value that your words have to send messages that are uni unifying, that are, you know, working us together, that are, that are strengthening us, that are making us more resilient, all of those things. And you have not experienced rewarding feelings until somebody lets you know that that was going to be you know, the last day of on, on, on this planet or that they were, you know, lost or whatever the case may be, whether metaf met metaphorically or actually, and, and call you back and say those words or whatever it is that you said that they change me forever, you know? And I think it's not that you have to aspire to, to do that necessarily or anything like that, but it's important to understand that it is extremely far-reaching it makes everybody's lives better. And the reason why we're in the predicament we're in right now in the world is because we are siloing everything. 
we're living in silos and we are not working together. We put all kinds of boundaries and impediments such as languages and religions and things. And we all do things differently. And instead of focusing where the focus needs to be, where is the common ground and how do we connect with each other? Absolutely. Chris, any thoughts? Yeah, I think, I think moving forward and trying to put, you know, those positive actions and words out into the world and the universe. Um, sometimes it's important to let go of the outcome too. Um, and not, not expect a whole lot of reward in return. Um, if, if you got it sweet, awesome. Um, but, um, staying true to what you think is the right thing, continue to put that out, uh, because that, that is the intent, you know? Um, and, and if you get kind of crapped on by, by the world as a result, that's a bummer. But, uh, if you're, if you're staying true to what you think is right and continuing to put that out, that's, that's what's important. And, and I, I think, I mean, yeah, I'm, I do seek out those those people that that say, "Hey, your words really impacted me in in a positive way." That's awesome. But I like when I first started doing social media again. Uh, man, tons of trolls on there too. And I unfortunately like they'd say something, and and man, it it just wrecked me. And it's like it made me really question, like, what am I doing? You know, am I is this journey worth it? Am I doing the right thing anyway? Um, and then kind of stepping back and reevaluating like, all right, yeah, no, I, I'm doing this on purpose. I'm doing this because I, I want to make the internet a little bit better. <laughs> uh, and, and just trusting that process and then letting go of the outcome. Um, and, and now it's like, I, I don't spend a whole lot of time even reading any of the comments because, uh, I good or bad. It's like, I'm doing it because I, I think what I'm doing is right. You know? that makes sense. Absolutely. I, uh, I, I have a thought on that. And you think that perhaps we, especially in the, the Western world, have placed a lot of our self-worth into the reciprocity that we get through our actions? I'm wondering, because it kind of clicks on me. I mean, this is external validation, right? You want somebody else to, you know, give you the thumbs up. Yeah, you did a good job. I think, I think a lot, I know I did for a very long time. I placed a lot of my worth into the work that I was able to do. So if I couldn't work, then I had no worth. But I think for at least what's making sense in my head right now is the fact that there is a lot of worth placed into what you get in return from whatever action, especially since that's how our economy is driven, right? If I do work for you, you pay me money, there's the reciprocity, good job, yay, bonus. Do, you, do we extend that to our emotions, do you think, uh, as a perhaps Western society? Seb, what do you think? Well, first, I think I, I need to address the elephant in the room, which is this is precisely not what I meant by by it, you will feel a rewarding feeling. There is a difference between wanting, wanting and needing a rewarding feelings and experiencing a rewarding feeling when it does happen. And, uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with, with taking a moment to say this was meaningful, right? And, and, and I must continue to do meaningful things because this reminds me that meaningful things make a difference, 
And sometimes when, as Chris alluded to, when sometimes you look at the social media landscape and you ask yourself, why am I even here? And trust me, I do that like almost daily. It's, it's been like an absolute battle to stay live on, on social I, because I, my tendency, and as I was, when I was on the team, I didn't have an Instagram until 2017. I wanted nothing to do with it. I was out there doing the work. I didn't care, but I, I do now I do care. And there is, there is value in it. And, and, and it's important to, you know, not be discouraged and, and, and staying the course. And what I'm starting to realize is that a lot of those say people or trolls or people that I was looking at that were very, very active on social, I've all fallen off. It's kind of like the old jujitsu mats, you know, like you start giving out, handing out blue belts and next thing you know, the, the crowd is dwindling substantially. And that's kind of what happens as you, as you stay the course and you continue to do it because that's what's right for you and, and, and is right for the collective, you're going to find that, you know, the people that shouldn't be there will wash themselves out. It, it, it happens that way. Either they'll burn themselves or somebody else will burn them. But uh, the bottom line is, no, it isn't about external validation whatsoever. And it should never be about external validation. As, as far as I know, it should never be sought, nor, nor is anticipatory reward. Anticipating how it's going to feel like, what is that? That's a made up movie. Like there's no, that, that's nothing. That's not reality, right? And now something happens and it pans out differently. And now you're, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're not, you're not reacting the way you should, or, or you're, you're heartbroken or whatever the case may be, whatever word we want to put on there. And so it's acknowledging that there is reward in selflessness or in, in being genuinely engaged with the collective and wanting it in order to do it are two different things. I've always uh, used a phrase with the boys on the team, which was imagine how much work we could do if we didn't care who took the credit. Like anybody, apply that in the medical in the medical world, apply that in, in freaking astrophysics, apply that anywhere. It really doesn't matter because it, it is the case. And so I, I truly believe and adhere to that sort of concept. Absolutely. Chris, what do you think? Social media is weird, uh, but, but, but yeah, I think, um, because, because of its prevalence and particularly with like influencer becoming like an occupation now, uh, that, that constant seek for, yeah, that external validation. It's how many likes did I get or how many views did I get? Um, we're seeking that, um, because that, somewhere on our deep down that's like, uh, I clearly have worth because all these people said so, you know, and that, I think that's a backwards way to look at self-worth. Um, it, that self-worth should come internally and, um, not through the validation of, of others, the complete strangers across the world that, that are, you know, clicking a button on, on your page or something, you know, uh, and so kind of to your question, uh, particularly Western, Western culture now is, yeah, that's where a lot of people are deriving their, their sense of worth is whether or not people are noticing them and um, giving them that kind of free validation on a, on a daily basis. And I don't think it's great. Absolutely. John, thoughts on this? Well, if we're talking social media and validation and whether we're in the right place or not in social media, I, I, I kind of like this panel right now is a, a 
proof of concept for me anyway. And that, uh, I mean, the dude just got his leg cut off. I mean, come on. He's here on a podcast, all chillaxed and like at making it a non-factor, cracking it out of the park with his answers, but he just freaking got his leg cut off. That's the kind of people that I like to hang out with. Actual savages, not fake savages, not people who contrive their life on social media, surrounding themselves with people who present an image of savagery through all of the latest, greatest tactical gear or all the latest, greatest videos that aren't them, but are from someone who is an actual savage and then applying a quote that isn't theirs on the video that doesn't belong to them and portraying that they're a savage through association of a third party further than arm's distance entity. You're either in it or you're not. You're either a savage or you're a fake savage. That's the way I like to view the world when it comes to this subject. You're in or you're out. And so that doesn't mean that if you're not a savage right now, you can't become one. It just means that you got to get to work. And you'll know that you've done enough work when you're on a freaking panel with a guy who just got his leg cut off and he's still cracking it out of the park like it's a non-factor. And so to me, social media is something that you can buy into and lose sight of yourself in it. It's easy to do. If you click enough clicks, if you like enough likes, if you watch enough stuff, in weeks or months or years, eventually, if you're not paying attention, you'll believe you're a savage just because you've watched all the savage videos. But you either are or you aren't. And you'll know when you are because you'll be surrounded by real people who are real savages. Yeah. Seb, you got any thoughts on uh, on that? I'm coming to you because I saw you giggling. No, it was just really funny. Uh, it, you know, it is, it, is, it is funny and it is interesting, but you kind of see everything as an opportunity to, to be there, as an opportunity to support, to provide that support. And I think of how would this apply if we were in an operational setting? How, how much pain would I be willing to take to, to, to provide support fire to my peers to do? And, and I, you know, I keep on going back to this, but of course, this is not about service in that way, but it's just metaphorically apl applicable to life. How much pain can I be in or take in and still be of value to those that need me is, is the question I consistently ask myself. And so there is really no negotiating with myself on this. I've been a little bit more mobile than I normally am because it's hurting and I'm moving around, but it is absolutely worth it. Every second of it. I, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but I, I think the operational theater is a great example because it is the extreme, right? Rarely is somebody going to be walking down the street and then like, oh, I got hit by a car and their leg goes flying off. And then they're going to be like, well, I still got to get to work. And then like, you know, hobble there. Like, no, that doesn't happen in the regular life. But in an operational theater, that absolutely happens, right? You'll be walking down the street, bang, your leg is gone. You're under fire. Okay, now I got to like, I got to get to work. You're not even thinking about your leg at that point. You're just getting to work. 
And uh, I think that that is, that's why I think it's such a, it's a good example to be able to utilize as long as you can provide the context to bring it back to, to the standard everyday life. I was talking to somebody this morning about this and the fact that, you know, there's a, <laughs> that the challenge in the last few conflicts with engaging the average citizen that isn't involved in the conflict is they have no stake in it. There's no effect to them whatsoever, right? Unless you know somebody that was there, it didn't change your life at all in any one instance at all, other than the fact that you might have traffic when the motorcade goes by, right? <laughs> like that's the, that's the difficulty that most people see from those conflicts. And so I think that is a, uh, it's a great point to bring up in the fact that we really do need to be able to apply the extreme as a context for life. And I mean, Sean, you brought up to me this a uh, couple times is when I said, oh, you know, it might be a real challenge. And you look at me and say, I bet it wouldn't be a challenge if I had a gun to your son's head. Like, that's the kind of context. Sometimes that, like, you got to be able to look at it through that lens. And it is a, it is an extreme and it is like outside the norm, but how bad do you want it? That At least that's where I come from. Sean, you got any thoughts on this at all? I do. And I've said that not just a chance. I've said that to a lot of people, people that I think can, that can handle it. And it's usually a case of, yeah, but what if I had a gun to your wife's head? I'm pretty sure you'd be sprinting out that door right now and making sure you got that thing to your workplace on time. That's just the way it is, man. Prioritization or motivation or what are the reasons that you're doing something? So chance you'd said, you know, someone's going to work and they get hit by a car and you know, they're, they're not going to go straight to the office from getting hit by a car or are they? It really depends on that individual and the importance of them getting to work. Maybe that individual in their suitcase has the plan for the company's success and it's got to be there today. That presentation has to be made today. And if it doesn't, a thousand people lose their jobs. So motivation is the key to me in these aspects. Why is Seb on here right now? It's probably not because he's got a bit of spare time. It's probably not because he's bored. He's doing it for something greater than himself, something bigger than himself. Just like the dude who gets hit with his suitcase by a car. When he gets hit, he gets to pick up that suitcase and think, ah, screw the team. I'm going to go to the hospital and get my hip looked at. Or he's going to hobble his way down the sidewalk as fast as he can and make sure that that report or that presentation is freaking on time accordingly to save a thousand jobs. So priority is usually, or motivation is usually driven by sense of responsibility to ourselves or more correctly to others. And so it's easy to go to hospital if you're only responsible to yourself. It's way harder to go to hospital after a traffic accident if you've got to get something there on time to save other people's lives. And I'm not talking about they're going to die. I'm going to talk about they're going to lose their house. They're going to lose their car payment. They're going to lose food on the table. These kind of motivations are what help us decide in the moment what we're willing to accept in the way of discomfort, what we're willing to accept in the way of pain. 
how we're going to take that branching point of left and right, hospital, no hospital, given that we have to decide for a larger purpose, for a larger calling, a higher calling, if you will. And so for Seb, it's, I'm not going to say it's easy for him to be here, but it makes sense that he's here because he's a team motivated guy. He sees the value in delivering his wisdom to the collective that is going to ripple on through eternity is going to be that one person who hears it, that's going to influence a thousand other people. And so it's easy to make those decisions. If you have lived a life of understanding the importance of these decisions, if you've never made a decision beyond yourself, well, it's a hard thing to understand, but the moment that you start giving of yourself for others more and more and more frequently, the easier it gets to give of yourself more easily for others, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, you got any thoughts on this? is story and the kind of stories we want to participate in. And he, he describes like if, if the best story you have to offer is just self, it's kind of a boring story to be a part of, um, but rather engaging in something that is bigger than self and, and contributing on a larger scale is a significantly more interesting story to engage in. And one, one of the examples that he gave in the book was, um, his teenage daughter was was dating a loser just like just kind of some punk kid that was just kind of lame and not a very good influence on her and and so rather than the father you know saying hey don't date that guy he offered a better story for her to participate in which was hey there's a lot of kids uh in in south america that are starving why don't we as a family figure out how to solve that problem and how to how to provide food and sustenance for a lot of people that are hurting and she immediately dialed in she was like yeah absolutely let's do that dump the loser and and now now the story that she was an, a part of was was so much bigger and so much more interesting and so much more significant than you know some punk that was giving her a little bit of attention at school you know and so i i think we as people we want to be a part of significant stories, but um, maybe the maybe the social media thing has has given us this illusion that we are the biggest story, and I, I just don't believe that. You know, like I I want to be a part of something that's significant and bigger than self. You know? I think that's why service is so attractive to a lot of, especially men, like uh, especially young men, because you start to realize when you're 17, 18, 19, that, you know, you're looking around at other men who have done things, who have been places, who have achieved things, and you're going, well, you know, I made it out of high school. Okay, <laughs> like now what? Where do we go from here, right? And I, so I think that why service is so, I guess, attractive to young men in that there's this desire to, well, what was the old... Uh, uh, the old U.S. Army recruiting thing was like, join up, see the world, do more before nine than, you know, anybody does before they wake up, that kind of stuff. Like, 
there was this constant drive like see do be a part of something everything is more than just you in this little circle that you live in so i think that's a that's a fantastic point i did want to bring up something uh, sorry a little... just to, i, I got something? to play off of that because yep. um i don't think that's why young men join at all at all it's something that young men learn once they've joined and they've been in the game for a few years that's when you learn what it means to serve before you join the military, you don't know how to serve. No one knows how to serve, really, uh, in context of a decade later of serving. So you might have ideas of what it means to sign up and serve, but you, you don't know. You're taught that through the process. The just, just basic training in and of itself teaches you how to serve, the importance of it, and how you can be more powerful as a team. But you don't know that from your high school football team, but you'll freaking learn it in basic training. And so I think that service is something that is learned over years. It isn't just learned through a um, commercial or through a poster that says, be all that you can be. That's a romantic notion of an idea in your head that has yet to have action put on the paper, the blank page of the thought that service could be good for me. And so service is something that I believe is learned over time, reinforced over time. You have a much better understanding of it decades later. Uh, I think that uh, um, that's, that's the truth of the matter. Interesting. Seb, you got any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think that's generally true. I do believe that there is the odd person that has had a set of circumstances that made them perfect for service and they know that and they know why they're going in and they want to do it in a way that you know is way ahead of their time in terms of uh, of knowing why they're doing it and and being clear on that on that purpose but gener that's that is not those are outliers they are not they're not the generalized population so to speak in my opinion absolutely well you know uh chris you got any thoughts on this at all before we Carry on. No, I, I think I think what Sean said was spot on. It's learning to serve is is, is a thing you learn how to do. Um, but I do think being part of a bigger story is something that's innate in all of us. Absolutely. Now we uh, we have been running for a little over two hours now, and I know Chris, you got to run. So, are there? Uh, let's go to some final thoughts, and then we'll shut her down for the afternoon. Start with uh, Seb. Any final thoughts? Anything at all? Come to Tulum, <laughs> little shameless plug. <laughs> no, find yourself, find yourself a veterans retreat, any veterans retreat, and and come and spend time, come and spend time with other people. Uh, we've we've you sort of you know segued away from the original piece, which is exactly what this is about, because this this is a different format now. But I do believe that there is extreme value in those endeavors to connecting with people in the right context and doing some inner work. So if you have some work to do and you don't know where to start, you, you start by finding something that might work for you and, and go from there. And then the next the next, you know, turn around the corner will be more visible from the location you will be at that time once you're done. I like it. Chris, final thoughts? Yeah. Uh, I think retreats are retreats are a very positive thing. Um, don't be looking for like the magic 
silver bullet though. Uh, it's it's kind of like working out in the gym. You're not going to see results immediately. It, it often takes a great deal of um, consistency. Uh, and so the the things you do learn at, at retreats or, or some kind of getaway, um, take that work and then work on it when you get home and make it a, a consistent daily practice. And then, you know, yeah, 90 days down the road, let's see see what kind of progress has been made. Um, but it does require a great deal of work on, on your part. Absolutely. Sean, final thoughts? Yeah, and while you're, um, while you're post-event working on yourself and figuring out what the event meant to you and how it was beneficial and how you're going to change your life moving forward, also consider that you were there for the team as well. So the story that you tell after the fact is the story that is going to be the greater story that others are going to be looking at to see if that story makes sense for them, for them to choose that direction that you headed, if they are interested in that. So ayahuasca retreats, as an example, two names that come to mind are Damien Robertson and uh, Toby Miller. And so these two gentlemen who are veterans went down to a retreat that was run by mutual friends and they had very positive experiences. And according to those gentlemen, it changed their lives. And so that message changed their lives. That is something that a lot of veterans need to hear nowadays. That is a story that people who are clinging by their fingernails to some degree, desperately seeking a path forward, are desperate to hear. So it's our job at these kind of retreats or growth getaways or vetcations, it's our job to find out not only what's good for us, but what's good for the team that we're going to take back as a story and encourage others to consider it as a modality or as a trajectory that can be helpful. These helpful moments are things that can not just change people's lives in the event, but these helpful ideas or helpful moments, this story that a person can put out, can keep someone in the game long enough that they can then get to the event. People who are struggling need to hear the positive outcomes. And so while you're out there, look for not just for yourself, but look for the bigger story that you can tell those that desperately need to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have a ton to add. You guys have hit all the, the things that I was going to say. I, I will leave you with this, I guess, analogy is that when other people are reading your story, make sure it has ink on the page and take action and do the things that you want to do. Otherwise, they're just reading a blank book. So I'll leave it with that. Make sure you continue to learn, build, grow every day. And we will see you next week. Chimo. Chimo. Hey, Collective. Big Bird here. Thanks so much for watching the episode. Really appreciate the support. It has been fantastic recording these and having these conversations. I can't thank you enough. If you'd like to watch any other ones, please subscribe to the channel. And uh, if you'd like to listen to another awesome convo, I've got one right here. Got one right here. Your choice. Chimo.